What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you new to the show, welcome to the party. For those of you repeat customers, thanks for coming back. Uh, welcome to 2022, season two. Uh, for those of you, like I said, joining for the first time, I started this podcast back in May of 21 and uh, really just kind of started to interview folks. Uh, I am literally just some dude, and I've been really fortunate over the past couple couple of years and months now to... Uh, to be introduced and have met some awesome folks that I never thought that I would get the chance to talk to and uh, kind of just shoot the shit, learn more about, and uh, kind of just get to know. Uh, with that being said, I started this podcast really with just the hope of sharing their stories and lessons learned, and it has turned into so much more than that. Uh, the mantra here is growth through story and strength through community. And what I mean by that is uh, I sit down and I interview folks uh, to share their life stories, share kind of how they got to where they're at, what they're working on, their lessons learned, the life goals that they've been aspiring to, how they got there, some of the wins and losses that they've experienced, and hopefully sharing them with you in a way that gets you excited, informed, educated, uh, hopefully directing you down the path that you would like to to maximize your life experience. And oftentimes, you know, we talk about whether it's just work, military, law enforcement, mental health. Uh, we've got some business guys and marketing guys coming up here too to kind of just tie everything together, hopefully to share with you in a, just information to get you excited about life and pursuing the things that you are most passionate about. So with that being said, that's that's the goal of the show. Um, I do my best to kind of really just do the active listening. So letting uh, my guests talk, that's kind of how I do my best to let them uh, let them do their thing, share what they have learned, and, and asking those active listening questions. So that's kind of my style. Um, and uh, really focusing on kind of just the gamut of people, namely in the outdoor, law enforcement, military, hunting. Um, we've got some folks in the marketing and, and uh, art community coming in too. So it's kind of just this really fun, robust group of people that I try and talk to. Um, so with that being said, um, I'm super excited. 2022 is going to be a ton of fun. Um, I've interviewed some folks over Christmas break. I took a couple days off of, of uh, or a couple, yeah, a couple days off over Christmas break for me and uh, have some pretty fun interviews lined up. Hopefully uh, going to be, uh, I've inter or I've sent a couple messages out so far. So hopefully, hopefully, you know, getting some really fun folks to share some fun stories uh, with you all. And so I'm going to go ahead and stop rambling uh, because I've been trying to get the verbiage done correctly on this several times now. And today's episode is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I sat down with Mr. Caleb Brewer just before Christmas break, or excuse me, just before Christmas while I was on break. And he is an awesome dude, and I can't wait to share his story. Uh, but we just do want to let you guys know that today's episode is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I'm a big Black Rifle fan. Um, one of my favorite things, it's, a, it's kind of funny, is uh, of all the things, uh, so I'm on the go. For those of you tuning in and maybe follow me on the Instagram, um, I, I spend a lot of time doing things not at home. Like I am struggling sitting here right now, uh, editing these episodes. Like I would much rather be like doing something different. Like I'm an active dude, but, but back to the coffee, uh, black rifle has these little coffee steep bags. They're like little square packets. They look like shit, like little tea bags. They are the best tasting things ever, especially if you're out hiking on the mountain, camping, hunting, 
whatever the case may be. I mean, I don't know if you want to make it like on the train or something. You probably could. I don't know if that's doable. Either way, they are awesome. They taste great. They've got the right amount of caffeine to get you going. And I have a, I have a little code, just Vanguard. Just use code Vanguard for 20% off your first order. And that includes subscriptions to their coffee subscription. So if you're fixing for something real good to get you kicked into the 2022 and off to the right, you know, off the races on the right foot, use code Vanguard for 20% off your first order, including subscriptions and also Lilled Coffee tea bags. So I'm going to stop rambling. Be sure to use that code, Vanguard, at Black Rifle Coffee. Helps us both out. Um, let's, roll, let's roll an awesome episode. And happy freaking new year. We'll catch you later. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you new to the show, welcome to 2022 now. I know Caleb and I are sitting down. It's it's like just three days, four days before Christmas, but we're, we're getting some recording done in advance. So for those of you new to the show, I hope you had a great year. And, uh, you know, my name's Austin. I'm just some dude outside of Boise, Idaho. I like to uh, sit down with folks. I've been extremely fortunate to uh, get to know some pretty cool people, kind of get to know their stories a little bit. And that's what I hope to do with the show is share their stories, some lessons learned, help you maybe get some new insights and uh, some good ideas on how to tackle life and move forward. So with that being said, I've got Mr. Caleb Brewer on the phone. He and I talked a couple, I think it was back in August when, you know, everything with Afghanistan was happening. It was not a fun conversation, but I'm glad because now we're talking on much better terms. I guess you could say a lot more fun things are going on, at least in your world, man. So if you don't mind, first of all, thank you for hopping on with me. If you don't mind just introducing yourself and what you're doing, and I'll, uh, I'll interrupt you as we go. Thanks for having me on here, Austin. It's awesome. I love what you guys are doing. I love the, the whole concept of the Vanguard project. So I love listening to all the stories you have everybody sharing on here. Um, my name is Caleb Brewer. I'm a retired, medically retired Green Beret. I served in the Army for about 11 years. Um, I got injured overseas in 2015 in Afghanistan. During combat, uh, IED lost both legs. Um, life has been a life has been a whirlwind ever since then. A lot of good has come from it. Um, just did a lot of stuff, adaptive CrossFit, a lot of archery stuff, a lot of hunting, and most recently, I've been doing. Um, I got my own business and archery shop going on here in Tucson, Arizona. So, life is awesome, and I'm super blessed a to be here, and then b to be able to just have fun, you know, enjoy doing what I do. So, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, that's sweet. So if we could maybe start at the beginning, what, what led you down uh, the path of the army? It, I have kind of like a, a different path than a lot of folks, because a lot of folks um, that I, at least a lot of my buddies know, hey, right after high school that they're going to go to the military. That's kind of like a predetermined path that they've wanted to do for a long time. When I, when I was a kid, we, we always did a lot of stuff, playing outdoors, playing army, you know, shooting guns and being real active. But um, I tried to go to college right after high school in 2003. And that was because I met my current wife, who was then I was dating, and she was going to go be a mechanical engineer at the University of Arizona. So I said, I'm going to go do that too, so I could go be with her. <laughs> well, she's way smarter than I am. And I couldn't hack it. I'll be honest with you. So I was doing that first year of engineering with calculus and chemistry and engineering, all that stuff. And I, I ended up just dropping out of school because I wasn't ready for it. And I don't think I was mature enough, to be honest with you. I'm kind of a late bloomer. But um, 
So I dropped out and I ended up just working at restaurants and bartending for a while. And uh, in 2005, a couple of years after I graduated, I, I just was looking for a purpose and I needed something in my life that was more than just kind of the nightlife. Yeah. And uh, so I joined the army and um, I, I joined in the reserves so I could go back to school at some point because I felt like I needed to finish college. And I joined in, joined Intel. And when I went to basic training, one of my buddies had this book called Get Selected for Special Forces. And it was like kind of a how-to on how to train yourself. They don't tell you what, you know, what to do, but they tell you how to train yourself to prepare for like all kinds of scenarios, how to harden your body and your your feet, especially in your mind and everything. And uh, I read that book and I, was, and I just, I had this, this moment of clarity that I made a huge mistake on what I should have done. I should have gone into SF right away. Yeah. So I made it my goal that that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, but, but a, a lot of long-term goals, they get put on the back burner. And this one kind of did because you get so focused on the rest of life, everything else going on. And this is a, a goal that would take a long time to prepare for. So um, I finished basic training, got back home to Tucson, Arizona, started working back in the restaurant industry a little bit, doing my part-time army stuff. And then um, in 2008, my unit, we deployed to Iraq for 13 months and all those, those goals came back to the surface. And so I started training really hard for it. Um, every day while I was out there, when I wasn't at the office, I was training, you know, ruck marching and running and pull-ups, push-ups in the gym and everything. And then as soon as we got back in 2009, I transitioned over to the 19th Special Forces Group. And then um, they accepted me in their training program. I passed all their gates and then they sent me to the, the Special Forces Pipeline, which is about two years long. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was hot and heavy. And then in the middle of all that, I got married to my wife in 2007 in August, and we had our first kid in July of 2010. And then right after that, in November of 2010 is when we moved to North Carolina for the, the qualification course. So it yeah. was just back to back to back with everything. <laughs> that sounded like it happened really quick. Like I know that span is a, spans a couple of years, yeah. but that's like, dang. Yeah. Okay. So a, a question a couple of questions I have coming out of that. So you said that you didn't feel like you were mature enough to go to college. And I know that I'm going back to the beginning of the, the story, but I was kind of taking notes. So what helped you determine that you weren't mature enough? I mean, was it just like you're sitting in class and you're like doodling and, you know, not really giving a flying fuck or is there like something else that really. It's a, it's a, a little bit of all that, man. And I think that, uh, going to the army, they, I, I got taught a significant amount of discipline, time management, self-accountability, responsibility in the military that, you know, my parents, you, your parents raise you well, they teach you a lot of things, but it's it's up to the individual person to to use what you've been taught. And so once I, once I graduated high school and I was out living on my own, I just, as a kid, you just said, you know, I got in, immersed in the nightlife. And so I just had fun. And, and when I went to college, I went to college to, for engineering for the wrong reasons. So I didn't prepare myself. I wanted to just be with, you know, with my girlfriend, who's my current wife, but I wasn't ready for the discipline, the massive amounts of homework as a 18, 19 year old kid. I, I just, so as far as maturing, like, I feel like I just, my priorities weren't there and I wasn't ready to handle that workload. And so it took me a while and, and it's kind of, kind of funny, but I started college in 2003 
I didn't finish, I didn't finish my bachelor's until 2020 and a couple of degree plans later and all that stuff, but I finally finished it. But, um, I guess if I just reflect back on life, I think that, I mean, anybody grows and matures, but I'm much more disciplined and be able to do tasks now than I was back when I was 19 years old. So. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So then another thing I was thinking about is you said that you had this moment of clarity. So you had joined the reserves, we're going through it, joined Intel, got the book, right? You had this moment of clarity that you had made the wrong decision. What did that look like and feel like for you? It was just this, it was this gut feeling. Um, And so going back to when I joined it, you don't know what you don't know. And so I'm the first person in my, in my family that had joined the military. So I just said, Hey, I'm going to go join the army. I'm going to go be 11 Bravo infantryman. I'm going to go active duty. That's my, that was my initial thing. Like, I'm just going to go be a grunt. And I had a good friend of mine who was in the reserves in Intel and his goal it was to you, you know, cause you can get your college paid for and you can go to college at the same time that your drill, you can get your clearance. And so there's a lot of great job, excuse me, opportunities that can come from that. And so he was the person that I knew with the insider information. And so I talked to him a lot about it and he's like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of opportunity if you go this route. And so I said, well, shoot, I'm going to go that route because that sounds great. And I would like to finish college at some day, finish college someday. And uh, so that's when I went, but then when I was, like I said, so I, I just, there's something, there's something about the draw and of special forces. And I don't know if it's the word special or if it's all the things you think about Rambo and you think about all these, you know, all these John Wayne types and you think about all the badass stuff that people did, you're like, that's the kind of stuff that I'm drawn to. I'm, I'm drawn to like the hardest challenges to being as elite of a person as I possibly can. And so when I read this book that was telling me one person in a hundred is going to earn that green beret and it's going to be super tough. I was like, game on. Like I, I like those kind of challenges. And so I was just instantly drawn in. Okay. Okay. So is there, what to you then was the difference in the challenge between in the maturity difference, right? Between going to engineering school versus special forces. Mm-hmm. Um, I think be, so, so when you're in the, when you're in the SF pipeline, it's a very, very, it's a huge variety of like different styles of learning. You're going to, you do academic learning, you do field learning, you do uh, hands-on stuff. Um, so you go through phases and I, I mean, the first phase phases for several months are in the field. You're just getting smoked, tons of PT, and then you're, you're learning. And then after that, after you can kind of make it through that first phase, it's, it's like the leadership course. And then like the initial selection and airborne and all that stuff. And then after that, they put you in a classroom. So I was in a classroom for four months straight learning Indonesian eight hours a day, five days a week. And you had to be proficient enough to speak it in a, in a fairly proficient matter after four months or else they kick you out of the course. They will, they, sometimes they'll let you try again. Um, so it's classroom stuff. So it's really weird because I like, it's, it's what I looked back on and back in 03 about, you know, having issues in school and, and what I think the, the difference is, is that I could see the relevancy at like a, a personal level, because for me, I was so, I was young. And I'm just jumping right into all these really high academic classes. I couldn't see how it translated into real life. But when I'm sitting here in a classroom talking to a a lady from Indonesia, she's teaching me to speak the language and they're telling me, you will go to Indonesia. You're going to speak to these folks. 
then I'm like, okay, this makes sense. And then they tie the kind of taught that language or tied the language training into the rest of the, the SF pipeline. So you kind of used it throughout. So, yeah. Um, and then life experience, man, I mean, I had gotten, I'd spent a lot of time in Iraq. So 13 months for that first trip. So I think just life experience and maturity really helps you um, with discipline because it's something that you can't really, in my opinion, it's something that's taught through experiencing it. Like it's, it's difficult to just have discipline out the get go without any kind of experience in it beforehand, knowing why you need it and all that. So, yeah. So throughout this time, then what were some of the key things that you learned how to develop your discipline? And I'm asking so that if somebody out there, you know, is like contemplating college or, you know, going into the army or special forces, they're like, I suck at discipline. I know I need to get better. What were some of the things that you learned that helped you develop that? I think um, one of the biggest things that I have had in my mind since, since the moment I read that book, and I'm pretty sure it was either in that book or I had run across another article or something online was you need to be accountable and responsible and the same person, regardless of whether or not somebody's looking or somebody's not looking, because it's easy to put on a persona when somebody's looking at you like, oh yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm got my stuff together. But if you're at home and you're sleeping in, you're not getting up and doing what you need to do, you're being lazy, then that's when it really matters. And so for some reason that thought embedded itself in my mind. So every morning I would wake up super early to go like train myself for a ruck march or a run or hit in the gym. And you don't, nobody wants to get up. Nobody wakes up super excited in the day. I want to go work out or whatever when it's dark and cold outside you, but you have to, you have to develop those habits. And so by doing it consistently over and over again, then you can develop that discipline. But one of the key factors is having a goal. And I'm huge, huge on goals because for me, if I don't have a goal, I don't have something to look forward to, you know, next week, next month, the next year. So having that goal. And I was like, I want to be this elite person in the military. And in order to do that, I need to act like it and I need to be it and personify it. So, um, I read as much as I could about any kind of material I could get on SF. I surrounded myself with people that could give me good information and just positive habits. Um, it wasn't easy at first, but over time, it, it's like this giant, I mean, kind of going, uh, you know, going forward about this business thing that I just did, but it's really similar where you have this massive goal. You look at it from, you know, from way behind it and you say, this is so big that I'm never going to be able to achieve it. Um, but then you just put your head down, you focus on your 25 meter target and you just chip away at it a little bit here, a little bit there. And then all of a sudden, boom, here you are and you've achieved your goal. It's uh, it's pretty cool to look at it that way and kind of look back on life and everything if you've worked through. Yeah. One step at a time. I like that. Did that help you quite a bit then through the selection process and then into, I guess, full-fledged active duty with special forces? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because there's, I mean, the, the, the special forces pipeline is pretty long. Generally it's about two years and you go through all kinds of stuff and there's chances at every single day to get dropped and your reputation follows you from day one. And, uh, it's hard. It's super, super difficult. And you need to be, be a very versed in a wide variety of things. But the thing is, is that's just like graduating high school. Once you get to a team and on in group, your tasks are way more advanced. There are more things you need to do. You have tons of responsibility and failures usually have much more significant um, effects. Like if you do something that wrong overseas, whether it's a training mission 
or it's a full-on combat, like people's lives could be at stake, um, stuff like that. So there, you have a ton of responsibility. And so it, it, you, you realize it once you get onto a team. And so you really need to be on your A game. And, and, you know, we have our team room in SF, there's 12 dudes on a team. There's a team room. And literally, if you mess up, they will take all your shit from your locker, throw it out in the hallway. You'll show up to duty and be like, okay, I guess I'm off the team and you got to go find somewhere else to go. So it's, it, it, it's not like, you know, they don't tolerate a lot of failures you got to be on your game so which is good that's what, what you expect of an elite force you know that's nuts i didn't i had no idea that they just throw your shit out that's that's Literally. one that's a good incentive right i mean like i guess that's like a goal not to have happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah if, yeah if you if you can stay uh, if you're an enlisted person if you can stay on the same team for the majority of your career, you've been a, it's a huge success because a lot of folks that bounce from team to teams are sometimes have personality issues, sometimes have performance issues, but that's everybody's goal is to stay on that same team and just do epic shit for their entire career. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So up until this point, then, you know, if, what, what would you say has been the most important thing that you learned or developed right into, I guess, your team days that, you feel is important to share with folks or maybe that you wish you would have known prior? Um, I think, well, I think the, the, the attitude of doing things and not, and, and not succumbing to laziness and other habits and stuff is huge. Um, there, there's one element that I really appreciate that when it comes to not necessarily just something that I need to do in order to be better, but just when something needs to be done. So I like to be uh, proactive on stuff. And I look at it as like, well, if some, if, if I don't do whatever task, if I don't do whatever, uh, you know, talking to somebody to start the conversation to get something going that we need, who's going to do it. And so I like to just think about it that way so that I'm constantly doing the things that need to be done and working hard so that I can, um, enjoy what happens later. And, uh, I don't know. I just think that problem solving is a big thing for me. I love problem solving. I love having goals and challenges. Um, and I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but I'm not really afraid of anything. And I don't mean that in like the sense of like just danger, but like, I'm not afraid to go do a task. And um, uh, it just, it helps me a lot because there's, there's fear of like, of not, you know, somebody, so for instance, it's like that whole rocking chair on your porch, a metaphor where you look back on your life and say, well, what did I wish I did? What do I wish that I had done in the past that I was too afraid to do before? And so that's kind of what led me into to go into SF. It was because that's what I want to do. And there's some anxiety and, you know, you could have like a little bit of nervousness going into something like that, but um, I just kind of shut that off and I go, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of a, just a, I really like being a hard charger and, and getting stuff done. Okay. Okay. Is that something that you think is that has helped you a lot or, or maybe deterred you from doing some stuff, do you think? So that mentality right there um, is a very, very double-edged sword, um, <laughs> especially, especially if you would talk to my family. Um, I think that if, if anything, anything worth doing is worth taking a risk, I think, and risks can have different shapes and forms, whether or not they're a physical or like a, like a, like a financial risk or whatever. But, but 
I've found myself in some pretty hairy situations across the board, not necessarily just in the military, because I do stuff like I, I sometimes I take, I just put my head down and go. And sometimes I could be a little bit smarter about things, but so the, there's the military, but then after the military, I've, I've gotten into like heavy weightlifting where like I could break my back, you know, and overuse my body. And then I got into, I had a Ford Raptor for a while. I got into like, you know, just for fun, Baja racing stuff, totaled it and almost killed myself. I've gotten into hunting. I've been around bears and all kinds of stuff, almost falling on things. Most recently I've been tree stand hunting, climbing 30 feet in a tree with prosthetic legs and hunting out of that in the rain and the wind and just crazy stuff. And so the reward has been great on a lot of these things, man. I get to go experience some things that I wouldn't if I was just sitting at home in a in a wheelchair feeling sorry for myself. Yeah. So okay. no, I like it. I like it. So <clears throat> before maybe we move into because I know that you were retired, medically retired. You've got two prosthetic legs. Before we get down kind of what that has looked like for you, is there any other stories or things that you want to talk about related to your special forces days? Um, cause I don't want to glaze over that, but I also know that like, I, I want to get to what you're doing now and also talk about, you know, the good that has come from that. Mm-hmm. I guess, um, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I spent an 11 years in the army going all over the world, doing some pretty crazy stuff. Um, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed every minute. I would go back and do it again in a heartbeat if I had a choice, just cause I got to make I got to make impacts on different levels with the people around me and different folks in different countries. So it's like it kind of helped mold me into who I am today. But um, it was very difficult to get to get blown up. And then um, on top of that, I got blown up on my 31st birthday. So now my birthday has a kind of a dual meaning with um, not dying. And, and so it's like an alive day is what mm-hmm. basically what it's called. So it's, it's cool. I get to I get to. Um, reflect on that but one of the biggest things that I've talked to a lot of folks about it real real similar situations to myself is the identity because well I guess not even necessarily just me but like folks in the military like you know 20 years 10 years whatever it is of being a service member and having a mission and having a group of people around you and then you get out and then it's all gone and I was just talking to um uh Jarrett Johnson he's the he's the uh co-owner of the Niceville Black Rifle coffee shop over there, former NFL player. And he, we were kind of discussing a lot of related things on that. And basically when you're in the military or real similar, when you're on a football team, you have, you're going down a road and you have all these signs, turn left here, stop, slow down, speed up, whatever. And everybody, and everything tells you what to do. And then you get out and there's nothing. You're like in a giant open grass field and you can just go around in circles and, you know, spin around and there's nothing to tell you what to do. So it's, it's real difficult to re-identify yourself after all that, whether or not you have it happen in an instant like me or you retired. So what I've really found is that continuing on and having some sort of service in your life, regardless of what that looks like, but just having some people that are, that you could be accountable to, to help them out has paid massive dividends in my life. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't like, I literally, before, like when I was training CrossFit, I could not sit at home and feel sorry for myself. I had people that were respond that were accountable or I was accountable to them and their welfare depended on me. So it made me have my A game every single day. And then you just pound that into your head. And then next thing you know, you've grown 
without even trying to grow and it just to grow it just happens yeah so it's been pretty awesome so how and, and I, I love that and i'm trying to think of like best ways to ask this but how did you help when you got to that grass field right the proverbial grass field how did you realign with folks to help hold you accountable right or be accountable to them and then I guess really start that growth process without knowing you're starting it. Does that question make sense? Like how, how did yeah. you go about doing that? It's just, and so I think the simplest way to look at it is goals. I, so when I was in rehab, I did, I spent a year in San Antonio, Texas at Brook Army Medical Center undergoing rehab and out processing the army. And um, I, uh, they have, they have the ability to take you on all these trips. You can do, I mean, the first thing I did is I went surfing in California and it was amazing around a great group of people. And then we did shooting and then I did learn how to run rock climbing, mountain biking, all the stuff. It was awesome. It gives you exposure and, and says, and kind of um, specific to my journey, but like I could do what essentially whatever I want yeah. um, with some kind of adaptations. And so I was sitting there, I was like, I want, I, I remember, I remember one day, talking to the therapist. I was like, I want to, I want to weight lift again. I want to, how do I power clean? How do I deadlift? And they're like, Oh, we can get somebody to train you. But it was kind of for them. They're, they're just kind of pain at mouth service just because they didn't know, like it was kind of a newer thing and they didn't have that. So they're, I think they're just trying to make me forget about it. And I don't mean that in a bad way because they were amazing people there, but I think this specific request was difficult for them. Sure. So I remember thinking about that and I was like, I want to, how am I going to pick up something off the ground? How am I going to pick up my daughter? Cause she was one. Um, it's difficult because you know, all the muscles, it's hard to not fall on the ground walking and then you're trying to pick up a weight. But so then I was like, okay, well, this is my new goal. And I remember getting a green army notebook and I started writing down notes and I started just experimenting. So I, I bought, or I had a nonprofit buy me a little bit of gym equipment, had it in my apartment. And I just started figuring out how to do stuff. And I yeah. fell a ton <laughs> and uh, trying to pick up weights and move weights. And then, then I was like, man, this is really difficult. So then I, then I jumped on Google and YouTube and social media and looking for anybody that had any car carbon fiber prosthetic that was lifting weights to figure out how to do it. And then I opened up this massive world of people that were sharing their adaptations and I thought, this is amazing. So I just studied everybody closely as much as I could and learned how they did things, their foot placement, how they're moving, you know, their muscle groups or what do they use? Like are they using a box to squat down on stuff like that. Yeah. And, and then I learned a lot. And then I thought to myself, well, I learned a lot. I took a lot from this. I should start push, putting it back. So I started posting on videos and then my friends and neighbors and people in town were like, wow, this is really cool. You know, I know this person. And it just, it just blew up. I was working at a CrossFit gym in town and I had, a, I had some training going out of my gym and then we were all getting better and, and lifting weights and having like a community and everybody was just happy. And I mean, I had, I had people that I had this, this guy, he was 60 some years old, type two diabetic. And we worked out for eight months and he ended up like the doctor said his blood work didn't show he had diabetes anymore. It was That's nuts. awesome. Nuts. And a lady, I taught her how to, like, she had, she sepsis, lost two legs and all her fingers on her hands. And I taught her how to get up from the ground to a standing position. And just, I mean, a lot of tears were shed that day. And it's just, it's been good through growth. And I didn't even try to do it. It just happened. And it's, yeah. it's weird how it just happened like that. 
That's awesome. So have you, have you thought about like writing some of that stuff down? Like as far as like techniques or videos and stuff, I mean, you said you started to put it out there and training folks. I mean, world's a big place, right? I, I have man. And, um, um, I ran across, a, an organization called Wheelwad, and they're just, uh, they're, they're the ones that have forged. They're the leading tip of the spear. They've forged it into adaptive fitness. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that got the CrossFit games to have their first adaptive division this year. And so I started, uh, uh, anything that I've learned or adapted, they've already done already anything. Okay. And it's, and it's been awesome. So I basically follow with them, but real lot is, is run by some amazing people in the adaptive training, um, Academy. They do, they do, uh, training seminars at gyms across the country and they're pushing folks into doing some incredible things that they never thought they could have done before. So. Yeah. It's pretty good. So I always re- refer folks to them. Okay. Okay. Wheel wad. I'll have to look it up yeah, and make sure good. it's linked. So you've obviously turned this and before we get into the, you know, your business now and everything in archery and hunting, um, you turn this into a pretty positive thing for you, right? Were there days that were dark or have you come across folks that are in similar situations with their adaptations that are just like given up? Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. There, it, it's easy. It's easy to just say, "Oh, it's all rainbows and unicorns or whatever." But it's still, there's darkness, and you're always kind of fighting in a way. Um, good days, bad days, without a doubt. I mean, I I go through a lot of pain on a fairly regular basis, so sores and back stuff and all that. Um, but early on, it was rough, very, very, very rough because it's a it's a change. Like you're just drastically your life changes in a split second, and um, they had me medicated quite a bit, you know, for the pain, you know, our narcotics and nerve pain and stuff for your appetite and, you know, antidepressants and stuff. And I remember uh, talking to a buddy really early on in like April, I got injured in December and then in April, and he was just, he was talking about how it was difficult, you know, to go through all this stuff. And I was like, thinking to myself, this isn't that bad. Um, you know, I'm, everything's okay. And then I was like, wait, that's, that's not normal. And so that, and then, you know, I was like, you know what, it's probably a lot of the effects from these medications. So I need to, I need to come to terms. And I decided to quit all my meds cold turkey and it was awful. And so in May I was done, I got off all, I mean, a huge handful of pills, all the pain stuff. And I mean, I would take stuff as needed, like an Advil or or an Oxycontin or whatever as needed, but not like the normal, Hey, here's my daily pill count. And, uh, it was awful. The, the withdrawals were awful. And, but afterwards I was like, wow, this is real life. And now I have to, to accept what happened and figure out how to like identify a new normal. And I remember one of the psychologists telling me that, you know, it's normal to be angry, depressed, all these feelings, because you, you have abnormal circumstances happening to you. And if you didn't have these feelings of anger and all that stuff, he said, then he would actually be worried about me. And I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't thought about it that way. And he said, but what happens is you can't stay in that cycle forever. You have mm-hmm. to figure out a way to, to, to get over it essentially and become a better person or just get your new normal and move on with your life. Cause you can't get stuck in that rut. So, um, and there's days where it still happens. Like if I'm in a, t- a pain will trigger a lot of negative feelings and it, there's no way to really avoid it. You know, if you're in a ton of pain, it's easy to be pissed off at the world and, you know, but, um, it's just a matter of like figuring out how to deal with it. Like if I'm in pain, I'll get out of my legs, I'll sit in a wheelchair, I'll try to do something 
that helps me out, whether it's go for a workout or go shoot some arrows, spend time with my family, stuff like that. So I try to look for ways to help me reset my mental loop when you're getting in those uh, cycles of feelings. Okay. Okay. So in kind of a similar vein, what, what would you like guys to know or to be aware of that are going through a similar situation to not get stuck in the rut or find out their new normal? Um, I think, I think knowing that you're going to have to accept it at some point, um, is really key. Um, because like, so for me, I mean, I, I invested my entire body and life into BNSF. I identified myself as a green gray. That's who I was. And it was taken away in a split second, gone, never to return. And so I had to, it took me a while, I mean, a couple of years really to, to start really feeling like I'm getting to understand my new normal, but a lot of folks live in the past and living in the past, I don't think is productive to what you should do. So for me, I could, I could sit down here and say, Hey, I was a green beret. I was an SF dude. And then just go on and live my life with that persona still. And it's counterproductive because it's not allowing me to move forward. So what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm using my, my past to help guide me and like define what's next and not living in it. Um, because I could, I could easily live it in, but it's not, it's not good for my family. It's not good for me. So it's, um, you, you have to move through it. Um, and I think the other big factor to anybody working through any kind of physical impairment or anything they got going on is finding things that you can do that'll make you have a sense of accomplishment, regardless of how little it is, regardless of how big it is, or it maybe seem mundane, but if you can do things that make you feel a sense of accomplishment, even if it's to help with other, with the help of others, you feel better about yourself. You feel good. You know, you move from point A to point B and those little goals add up over time to significant results, I'd say. Okay. Okay. So coming to terms and small accomplishments. Yep. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So you did your Baja racing, you got into hunting, archery, and you just started stick sniper archery. Do you mind talking about how all of that came to be? Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of funny how things happen, but, um, uh, in 2018 in February, I went on my very first hunt that I'd ever been on my life. I went on a, a Barbary sheep hunt in New Mexico with a good buddy of mine, Jesse Gregson through his nonprofit. And they busted their asses and I ended up getting a sheep with their help. And uh, it was something I I just thought to myself, why have I never been on a hunt before? This is silly. This is amazing. I love it. I get to experience everything outdoors. I get to be around a good group of people. I get to go harvest an animal and bring it back home and bring meat to my family. Like it's amazing. So I started getting really into hunting after that. And I went on several hunts um, and you know, elk and deer and javelin and stuff and got some with a rifle. And then one day I was talking to my father-in-law and I said, you know, I'm thinking about, I want to go shoot a bow to see what it feels like. And he's like, well, funny you mentioned that I have this old PSE Nova at my house and he brought it over and he's like, here, just have it. So I said, all right, cool. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I dry fired it and I broke the string (laughs) the very first time I got it. So I have this bow, it's old bow, so I had to take it into one of the local archery shops that's owned by a a Vietnam combat vet. Um, And they got it all fixed up for me, put new cables and strings on it. 
And then when I had to go the, you know, when I came back to pick it up, the weirdest thing happened. There was a lady in there that had a bow and a tackle box full of equipment and said, Hey, my father-in-law is in hospice and wants to donate his bow to a wounded veteran. And the owner looks at me and he's like, well, no kidding. And so they handed me all that stuff. It was an old bow again, yeah. but it was like, it had tools and broadheads and tips and grunts and all kinds of stuff in this tackle box. And I was just like, Holy crap, this is crazy. So then I started shooting it and shooting and shooting and shooting. I loved it. I loved every second of it. And I, and I went hunting and I had an opportunity at about 50 yards on a really big coos whitetail buck, but there was lots of wind and I didn't feel comfortable enough to take that shot because I hadn't been practicing enough. So I didn't shoot. It was eating me up. And I was like, what is going on? Why is this eating me up? So then I ended up buying a newer Matthews bow because I wanted, I figure if I'm going to go hunt, I'm going to put every bit of money that I possibly can into it so that I can be as successful as possible for the animal and for myself. And then after that, it was just, I, I loved it. And then I was like, I want to go make my own strings and I want to work on my own bow. So I ended up buying some archery shop equipment for my garage, worked on it, um, buddy's bows and my bow in my garage just for fun for a while. And then I was like, I'm going to open up my own archery shop. This is really, really cool. And I love it. So then I started writing a business plan early last year, a little bit before that for the business plan and then COVID hit. And I got a, I got a buddy, Jonathan Lopez. He's, he's, um, he's in with Operation Enduring Warrior and he was running their skydive program and Operation Enduring Warrior is a nonprofit that serves vets and first responders. And the majority of their events are for uh, Spartans and Tough Mudders and obstacle course races. And they take significantly wounded folks through it as a sense of empowerment. And because of COVID, all those events were shut down. So we started chatting and we were like, uh, OEW needs an archery program. And so we, we wrote up a plan, we pitched it to the board and they said, yep, let's do it. And so August of last year, we started doing it. And I, but at the same time, I told OEW, I was like, hey, I got about a year with you guys because I got to finish on my goal of opening up a shop. Yeah. I said, no problem. So from August last year, all the way until now, it has been a wild ride with OEW. We have gone to 3D shoots, hunts, training camps. We give away grants for like thousand dollar grants for folks to buy their own equipment. Got to, got to do the job at a bow shop with Paralympic training, um, all kinds of stuff. And folks that are, you know, in a wheelchair, folks that are prosthetics, folks that have mental, emotional trauma, we get them shooting a bow and the results have been freaking incredible. And, uh, you know, just shooting a bow, you, you have zero capacity in your mind to think about pain or a bad day or anything like that. You right. can only think about releasing that arrow, which ends up being like a release, like a mental release. And they don't even know it. So I don't even tell anybody anymore when I get them an archery, I'm like, I'm not even going to tell them that they're like going to a therapy session. Yeah. They're dealing with a hard time because they'll just, they'll figure it out. But, um, so the, the year went by and, um, I recently just stepped down I'm still going to be with them and, and mentor and as a advisor and everything, but I've been working on my business plan, my business for about six months now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's all come together. And in this past November 15th, we opened up stick sniper archery in Tucson, Arizona and it is going great. I am so, so grateful and lucky to be, to be able to do this. I love it. That's awesome. awesome. So is it like a storefront people can come see you or is it still out of your garage? 
so I got a full on, I got a 6,000 square foot building Holy crap. Um, with, yeah, with like a huge range. I got a tuning cave with like chronograph. I got like five employees working on bows. We got tons of bows. We got a couple hundred bows in inventory, camos, all kinds of stuff. We're just going to keep expanding. It's, it's big. That's um, awesome. Yeah. It's the biggest shop in Southern Arizona. Yeah. For six months. That's nuts. I know, man. It's been, it's been really, it's been a godsend for me and just kind of the way the rest of my life has been, you know, um, it's just like Providence or like dominoes that are just ready to be stacked over. And like, I just, I've lived my life, um, just put like, I want to put good into the world. I just want good in the world. I want no expectation of any return. I just want good things to go out in the world. And it's weird how there has been a lot of things coming back my way without even trying. Like I, I don't, I don't hustle. Like I'm not on the streets, like trying to make connections and all this stuff. And I don't mean this in like an arrogant way, but like, I'm just so content in life that I'm just living in like all these good things. I put out good and then good, good comes back with no expectation. And it's been amazing. Amazing. That's awesome. So what has been probably, what has been the biggest thing that you've learned throughout starting the business and kind of getting, getting it up and going? It is a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> it is so much work. So um, I did a lot of, so one of the things about SF is that we train by, with, and through our partner forces. So we, we very rarely do things unilaterally. We're like, you go kick in a door and go kill a terrorist, just you. Right. usually do it with your partner force. And as a result, we have to learn how to manage large groups of people, missions, long-term, short-term stuff. And it's essentially like project management. So we have SF is very, very good at planning, planning all elements of something, planning for contingencies and backup plans and, and looking at in-depth what to do. And so I was super intimidated with this business at first, but then I, I got the, the uh, business plan shell and I started inputting different elements. And it was like, this is the same thing as writing up a mission. Like, I'm just going to look at all the elements. It's like a five paragraph op order. And you take all the elements and you just switch military jargon to non-military stuff and you do it. And so it's kind of like how I was talking about how just one step at a time, like this is a huge deal to do all this stuff all the finance the taxes the accounting the inventory the employees the location all the permitting all the advertising work like it's nuts but you you just chip away at it a little bit of time and with this one specifically i got a really good group of folks around me like i like to surround myself with people that that are better than me and like that know what they're doing so that we can all specialize on certain things and get it done so i've had a phenomenal group of people around me helping out with this so that's cool I, that's awesome i i love hearing about stuff like that you know where it's like oh man i i had this previous skill that i applied to this new thing that i'm working on and lo and behold it's the same thing you know and it's yeah. working i'm still blown away just like six thousand foot warehouse five employees hundreds of both like i don't know i don't i so this is the closest, the podcast is the closest thing I've ever done to like starting a business. And like, I don't really have anything that like I inventory or really own other than like audio. But to me, that seems like insane to have done that so fast. So the, the one, the one element with this is that I purchased a business 
that was mm. that the owner. So the owner had owned this business before and he um, was wanting to retire. And so, and with my mindset, I was going to, um, I was going to start at the bottom with a tiny little archery shop and scratch my way from the bottom because the archery industry is really good at taking care of shops and because um, of online commerce. So like, if I want to go buy a Hoyt or a Matthews PC bow, whatever, you can't buy it online. You, you have to go to an authorized dealer and you have to um, purchase it there. And so the, the, the shops or the manufacturers won't let you sell them online. And so as a dealer for me, so if I said I wanted to take a Hoyt and I wanted to sell it to somebody outside of my region that could potentially get my license revoked because they, they protect the locals in the air, the local shops in the areas. That's and cool. they literally do like area studies. Like they'll say, Hey, there's too many people selling this product in this area. It's saturated. Sorry. We're not going to let anybody else sell our product. So it's been great. And so I was like, I was going to say, well, I'm going to sell any bowline I can get and then get bigger and then grow. Um, but I got some insider information that this guy was just wanting to retire. He had a very, you know, well-oiled business. And so I just called him up one day. I was like, Hey, you want to sell your business? And he said, well, let's talk about it a little bit because <laughs> it's not, not as simple as that. And then, then I learned about all the work that went into it. Um, yeah. It was crazy, but I got, I got, I was very, very fortunate to get a head start because they had been in business for 11 years. Um, and then I got to add my flavor of everything, you know, with the military side. And, and so, yeah, that, that's why it started out so well. Um, Cause just being able to be that fortunate to work that angle. Yeah. That's cool. I bought my first bow. I think it was maybe this time last year, if I remember right. And I just bought some, it was a diamond archery Ed 320. I just bought one of the off the shelf ready to shoot packages. Cause I was like, I know, I don't know if I'm going to like it. I don't want to go spend, you know, seven, 800 bucks on a bow and, you know, be like, damn it. I didn't like this, but it is like the most therapeutic thing to go shoot. Cause like I've shot, you know, my fair share of rifles and stuff and it's pretty easy to have things going on between the ears and still be able to you know hit a target but when you go shoot a bow like to your point earlier you have to be like silent like everything has to like you can't be thinking about anything you can't be like exhausted you have to be like totally in the zone otherwise like i may or may not have sent a couple arrows through the wall you know because (laughs) i wasn't wasn't fully present you know Uh, that's awesome but it's so true, man. That's just, I don't know what it is about, about archery. It's just, it's incredibly therapeutic and addictive. And I think that, you know, we live in a world today where most things you get quickly, like instant gratification, you know, yeah. you get a like on your Instagram page or, you know, you can go buy something on Amazon on the spot. And um, archery is like very, very counter to that, where you are going to try to, to get that instant gratification and pursue like being a perfection, like a perfection, being a master, like being a master at this activity, but you never will. You literally will never be there. You will have off days. The slightest thing could affect your shot. And uh, so it's something that it's like a continuous skill set that you can always practice and you're never going to get bored of because you're never going to become good enough to become bored at it, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Okay. Well, I feel like I'm fresh out of questions. Is there anything that we, you feel like we might've glazed over or didn't get too in depth on that you'd like to, uh, to talk, talk about? No. Um, 
the only the only thing that's pretty forefront in my mind today or lately just is um i think it's easy with uh, a lot of the the world and you know political issues and stuff and social media and the news to to start thinking in the negative side of things um it's very very easy to get spun up and sucked into a lot of the stuff and i'll be honest like last year and then when we talked um about afghanistan stuff afghanistan i was getting into that mindset but the one thing that keeps bringing me back to reality and back to the real stuff is just realizing that there is a significant amount of good in the world. There's a significant amount of good people. And what I have to do to realize it is kind of unplug from the phone and just stop and be present in the moment and look at my family or look at the people that I'm talking to and the conversations and be like, this is real and this is good. And it kind of grounds me a lot. And so I've had to use that as like a self reset button because it's easy to get caught up in everything nowadays and just ruins your life. But I just focus on the good in my life and I focus on making a positive influence in my sphere of influence where I can. And it's been a huge mental health boost. Be a good person. Goes a long ways. It does. Okay. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you and taking the time. time, man. Caleb, man, once again, thank you for taking the time and sitting down and sharing your story with me. I feel like you you have taken some pretty intense circumstances and made the absolute best out of that. And for that, I look up to you. Um, I appreciate everything that you've done, time served, what you've been doing, what you've been working on, the pillar that you've been standing up in the community. And I hope everybody listening uh, took some good information away, whether that's overcoming adversity, right, owning your own circumstances, making the most of life chasing your passion, honestly, wholeheartedly, even if it's dangerous or standing on tree stands 30 feet high in prosthetic legs and high winds, right? If that's your thing, you do you or almost destroy or or why you would destroy or Ford Raptor. I don't know. But you know what, man? I appreciate you. I hope everybody listening, I hope that you took some good stuff away. Please feel free to follow either Caleb or I or the both of us on Instagram. Caleb's will be linked in the episode description, CK Brewer. And then mine is uh, at the Vanguard Project with periods in between. And, uh, Let's, let's stay in touch and keep in contact, but I hope you all have a great day and we'll catch you next week.